Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Woo! God bless Texas. That's right, God bless Texas. You can be seated. And I tell you people, that's an okey that's saying that. God bless Texas. I say it every time. We, I love Oklahoma. I didn't, when I went there, I hated it. It's flat and ugly. I came from East Tennessee and God sent us out there to go to Bible school and I thought, man, I gotta get out of here and get out of this state. I gotta get out of here. And uh, 35 years later, we're still there. So, and it's home and I love it and I love the people there. My kids are growing up there. And, uh, but you know, I got to watch Oklahoma football instead of Tennessee football. And I realized the biggest game of the year was Texas. It was Texas, it's like. So the greatest thing about pulling for Oklahoma football is we, we just got one thing on our mind. What's gonna happen? We don't care as long as we beat Texas. We beat Texas as a God in heaven. That's how important you are to us. God bless you. You're at the top of our list. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, all of my relatives left East Tennessee. They were in a mining community and my dad had 12 brothers and sisters and they left home. They all came to Texas. Been in Odessa, Fort Worth. They came all to Texas and family reunions that asked them, why did you go to Texas? They said, Davy Crockett went to Texas. And if he went to Texas, we're going to Texas. That's what they said. So God bless Texas. Matthew, uh, it's a great passage of scripture. Uh, Matthew 22, they're trying to set Jesus up. He had people that did not like him at all and they're messing with him. And so they're trying to trip him up. So they asked him, what's the greatest commandment in the law of Moses? Well, there's a bunch of them, so they're trying to set him up. Doesn't matter what he says, they're gonna to try to attack him. So what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, basically it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. The second one, he said, is just as important to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now the summation of that is, is this. And Jesus said, if you'll just love God and love your fellow man, you will fulfill everything in the law. You don't even need to read the law. You don't even need to read the 17 books. If you'll love God, and love your fellow man, you'll fulfill all the commandments. And they didn't know what to say. They just kind of looked at him, you know. And what it is, it's about relationships. The most important thing in life, God says, relationships. Our relationship with our father, our relationship with our fellow man. All wars, all divorces, all fights, all whatever. It's called people hate one another. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, and I hate you. Well, you've left the commandment. It was, we spoke love everybody. It was in there. Even people we don't like. He didn't say we had to like everybody. He said we had to love everybody. Love's what, love's what you do for somebody, not what you feel about them. So I was uh, studied for years. I love what we do. And uh, I worked in electrical ministry for 10 years before God called us in the ministry. And so for about 30 years plus, we've been traveling teaching on the family. I always believe family would be the hottest issue in the last days, politically, financially, and spiritually. The family is the first thing God made, first thing he lost. He promised he'd put it back together before Jesus comes back to the earth. So the last great day revival is among families. That's why the devil's mad, hates families, trying to bust them up, split them up. And Jesus said, no, I'm gonna make you one together. Well, come on, God, let's get busy doing it. How are you gonna do that? Well, through my word, but somebody's gonna need to teach it. Now, all my kids, uh, it's been a real busy year. Our oldest daughter, Sarah, finally walked and got her doctorate this year. So I've got a doctor in my family, Dr. Ramsey. God bless her. And, uh, and so, yeah, that doesn't mean she's nice all the time. Sarah was very unique. She can make an A without opening a book. We had to teach her some other stuff. But she's born again in Spiritfield and serves in a local church, counsels the women on Thursday, but she teaches at Northeastern State. 
Jessica, our second daughter, is a great athlete. She was an all-state basketball player, great at math, loves math. So she went to college on a scholarship athletic, but she majored in accounting. So she's our, our accountant, as a matter of fact, does stuff for us. And uh, our third daughter, uh, Corey, just mean as not. She's a middle child. And, Never uttered a cuss word her whole life. I never heard her say a bad word ever, ever. She just can poker face and just be mean, just cut you like a razor knife and, and just stare at you like, and you'd have to say, did, did you just cut me? And she would say, I'm sorry, dad, what did you say? You heard what I said, did you cut me? I don't know, dad, how did you take it? Well, I don't know, how did you mean it? So I realized she's real good with words, so we made sure she majored in journalism and uh, so we're gonna put that mouth to work on paper. And uh, so Corey owns half our publishing company, Stone Blood Publishing. Our, our, our fourth daughter, Tessa, loved medical shows. So she married, majored in health science. So she loves broken bones and blood and stuff and sewing people up. That just makes her day. Uh, our fifth daughter majored in interior design. She just got her degree four weeks ago. And we fought that the whole way. Like, you're not gonna major in no stupid interior design. The world's dying going to hell. You're gonna major something to help somebody. And so a month later, she came back with a boatload of scriptures about the temple and the tabernacle and heaven. And <laughs> she said, God's really big into interior design. <laughs> I thought, son of a gun. I said, okay, then I guess you're going to major in interior design. So she just graduated making big old money, man. They make good chunky change. God bless the interior designers. I used to, because, you know, any of them, my son graduates, he's almost out, so he'll be out. So they're almost gone. Bless God. <laughs> and we're almost where we don't have to write checks. We can, but we don't have to. And that's, that's great as a parent and grandparents. Now we're dropping grandbabies like rainwater. And so we're on the other side. Anyhow, I got to thinking, you know, uh, about most important things about, you know, having a relationship with God and your fellow man. So you got to work at that. That's not natural. Most people are mad and fighting and screaming and hollering. It's like, well, what do we need to do? Well, we have to get the word of God in us. And so... Uh, in my study, I found this, saw this thing where they did at Harvard University back in 1938. Harvard University, 1930, still the leading college in America at the time, most expensive one, it still is. Uh, their human resources department were fascinated by things. They noticed that kids in Harvard from very wealthy families, fairly intelligent, that they weren't always happy. There were some kids at Harvard that were just downright sad and depressed. Some were happy, some were sad and depressed. Well, they were doing work in the inner city of Boston there, close to the university, and they noticed kids in Boston that were in poverty, you know, some without fathers and homes and food and poor as dirt. Some of them were happy. Some of them weren't happy. So it didn't seem to matter where you came from or how much money you made, some people were happy and some people weren't. And they got to ask themselves, well, what makes people happy? How did the happy people get happy? It didn't have anything to do with money or whatever. I thought, we need to do a study. So they decided to do that. So they selected 724 men, no women. Half were sophomores at Harvard, and half came from the slums at Boston. Took a year to screen them out, go talk to them, interview parents and cousins and neighbors and moms and find out about them. And they said, what we're going to do, this will be a 10-year study. We'll come see you once a year for a week. Ask you a lot of questions. We're going to give you a full physical, urine sample, blood sample, x-rays, everything. We want to know what makes you tick. We want to follow you for 10 years to see if we can find, figure out what makes happy people happy and unpeople unhappy. Well, they just completed the 75th year of the study. 60 of the original 724 are still alive. They're still doing the survey with them. They thought, man, this was fascinating. What they found out was very unique. They asked them in the beginning, what is it that you think, whether you're from Harvard or the slums, what is it you think would make you happy? 
And they said, 80% of them said, a lot of money. Chunk of money, wealth would make us happy. What's the second most important thing in your life that would make you happy? And this was the second most popular answer. Being famous, we wanna be famous. We walk into a room, we want heads to turn. We wanna be somebody. So every year they ask the same questions, same tests, took blood, took stuff. Somewhere around age 40, the answers begin to change. Now this is a secular study. There's no Christian in this. Somewhere around age 40, the answers begin to change. They realize, well, what's important? Is it still money? No, no, we realize by age 40, it's just not that big a deal. I mean, everybody needs it, but it's just not that big a deal. How about being famous? No, that's not what it's cracked up to be either. Trust me, people bother you all the time. You don't even have peace and quiet. No, that wasn't what we thought. By age 50, every single one of the 724 gave the same answers. What is it? What are you chasing in life? What's the most important thing in life? Here's what they said, without exception, all 724, a great relationship. What? A great relationship. Some of the Harvard guys committed suicide. Some of the Boston Slum guys committed suicide. Some became alcoholics, some became drunk, some became drunk. Regardless of what side of the fence you came from, some didn't go so well, regardless of where you came from. But the ones that made it, what's the most important thing? Said a good relationship. That's funny, God said that in Matthew 22. What's the most important thing? A relationship with God and a relationship with your fellow man. God said it first. He even wrote it down. So people going through life trying to be something today. Everybody's trying to be a show off and do something. Out do, out hit, out hunt, out golf somebody else. I want to be somebody. It's not about being somebody, it's about serving somebody. It's about getting to know somebody. And so we all start off wrong because of our flesh. So they came back and did the study after the thing. They realized something, yeah, it's a great relationship. Some of the people in the study who had terminal diseases, whether they were from Harvard or from Boston, some had terminal diseases, had cancer, uh, Dynastuff, on auction, said even the ones with terminally diseased, that were terminally ill, outlived the average other American by 10 years because they had one thing in common. They looked forward to getting up the next day. Man, we thought you'd die this year. You're not still not dead. How come you're not dead? Now, this is secular. They said because they look forward to getting up and going playing dominoes with their buddy tomorrow, playing checkers with their buddy, playing chess, hanging out, sitting on the bench. Relationships gave people a reason to get up. People who are depressed have no relationships. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. My daddy left my mom and my mama never loved me. My teacher never passed me. My coach wouldn't pay me. My boss fired me. My wife left me. My dog bit me. And we are consumed with sadness. Well, stay tuned. We just had some sadness come on the news. Right after this commercial break, we'll bring back, bring back some more sadness to you in just a little bit. <laughs> we're consumed with bad news. How bad is that? Well, we're not supposed to think on those things. We're supposed to think on whatever's praiseworthy and you know, honest. We, we are even told by God, you know, you get depressed because you think the wrong thing. Think on these things, whatever, uh, lovely, honest, just, praiseworthy, have a good report. Don't think on stupid. Why are you thinking on stupid? Because you watch and listen to stupid. Out of the mother's heart, the mouth speaks and thinks. What is it? I've been watching a lot of stupid. Why are you actually stupid? I watch stupid. You talk me. Why are you talking me? Because I watch and listen to me. <laughs> so I thought, we, we got to do something about this. So I want my kids to live a long, happy life. So the most important thing is relationships. So you're going to have to know how to have relationships. 
And so we were doing radio. We launched radio about a year ago. I never wanted to do media. I love what I do. We, I love people, one-on-one. And uh, we do about 80 seminars a year. So 25th year, but I'm not getting any younger. And so my family, my board says, you can't do this forever. You've got to pace yourself different. I said, why? I figure you do this, you're not dead. And that's how you're supposed to work. I thought that's what it was. How long am I going to do this? Well, until I'm not here. And then I won't be doing it because I won't be here. <laughs> we'll see you later. I don't. And so, but I'm trying to listen to wiser people. Well, no, and so they said, Joe, you ought to get on radio. You can reach thousands by traveling. You can reach millions by radio. I don't want to do it. I said, no, you need to. So I finally gave in. Okay, you're right. I need to. I don't want to get to heaven and God say, son, you could have reached millions. How come you only reached thousands? Because I didn't want to. That won't go good at the marriage supper. I, I, no, I've got to start reaching as many as I can. So I thought if we're going to chase somebody and be on radio, who's got the greatest radio programs in America? So we listed the top five, and so one of them is Chuck Swindoll out of Fort Worth. He's on 2,400 stations. I thought, well, if you're going to chase somebody, chase a big boy. Let's go visit Chuck and see what he does. All of our staff was over with David uh, Ramsey. Uh, 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 yeah, thank you, Dennis Rainey. Thank you. I just went to Ramsey Seminar. Dennis Rainey over in Little Rock, we took everybody over there, to, and he was great, man. I mean, they're huge. They reach in the world, so how do you do this? Man, they met with us, fed us lunch, gave us a tour, and I thought, we should have come here 25 years ago. And I realized people won't ask for help because they're too prideful. They're, trying to, they're too busy trying to prove they're right, and they got something to try to be humble and humble them and learn something from other people. And so it went real good, and our staff, some of our people are flying back three weeks to go be with them again. We're trying to learn how to reach more people. So one of our radio programs when we started last year, we have call-ins. People call in and ask questions. So Denise and I twice a month sit in the studio, and we answer questions. Two-minute answers, 30-minute program. People write in, call in. And so a lady called in. We got a little MC, assistant chair, and interviews us. Joe and Denise, this lady asked, said, uh, hey, Joe, got all your material about family and parenting. It's really helped us a lot. But I would like to ask you a question. If you could go back and do it all over again, what are the three most important things you did as a parent? And I thought, hmm, well, that's sort of a female thought of a thing. So I looked at Denise and I said, honey, would you like to answer that? And she said, no. <laughs> no we're live, you know. Like, oh, well, praise God. Well, I'll take that then. And so I'm trying to think about, I always told my kids the most important thing in life is serving people. It's relationships. Good people, bad people, mean people, nice people. It's about serving other people. And those are the people that make it in life, do really good. And so I thought the three things we always tried to tell them, I said, well, most important thing we did was taught our kids about sin because you want to kill a relationship, sin. Sin's got death attached to it. It'll kill you. That's why Jesus came to die for our sin. Sin's a big deal. It's just nobody writes books about it, doesn't sell books. You know, doesn't sell bumper stickers, you know, thou shalt not sin. Nobody talks about that. But sin's an ugly thing. Jesus came to die for our sin. Number two, I wanted my kids to know you're anointed to make money because if you don't have money, your relationship's not going to go good. When the lights aren't on and you're bouncing checks like ping pong balls on a concrete floor and you can't get gas or groceries, you can't pay your rent, I don't care what kind of relationship you're in, it's not going to go good. It kills, lack of money kills relationships. That's when the devil's a thief. He tries to steal, kill, and destroy. We've been redeemed from the curse of law, which is poverty. But you better know that. So sin kills relationships. Lack of money kills relationships. And number three, your mouth kills relationships. So the third thing I want my kids to know, guard your heart with all diligence, proud of the issues of life. Don't talk stupid. Don't say stupid. Don't be mean. Don't give evil for evil, rating for rating. But on the contrary, give a blessing that you might inherit a blessing. I want you to learn how to talk nice even when you're mad and you don't feel good. I want you to speak softly, speak slowly, and say the right thing, not overreact, which I was known to do, my wife will tell you. 
So we went through that and, and we answered some other questions and the program ended and we had people in the audience that day and we're greeting people because we've got our own studio at the office now. And three of my kids were in the office in the studio that day and we're walking out. Man, dad, that was good. Yeah, that was. I enjoyed that myself. That was good. And so my oldest daughter, my college professor, as we're walking out with other people, dad, we don't remember you teaching us that. <laughs> and so I had two of my other kids in the audience that day and John, you remember him teaching us that? No, Dad, you never taught us that. I taught you that because there's other people listening. Well, I just lied to America, I guess. I don't know. And so I got mad. Shut up, get my office in here. And so I made it come in the office. And so when I pull these papers out, I've had them forever. I said, these are, these are the scriptures. I gave it to you back in, way back in Sarah's in junior high. I gave it to you. I printed it out and we went over it. We don't remember. That's because your brain leaks out on your pillow at night. <laughs> Romans 12, 2 says you have to renew your mind with the word of God every day. So I pull them out, reprinted them, and here they are. These are the original ones. I'm carrying them with me. There's just two pages. These are all the scriptures in the New Testament about sin. Sin's got death attached to it. Don't sin. We make light of sin today. Don't make light of it. Now, you can repent quick, but it'll kill if you don't get it off of you. Oh, that was good. <laughs> so these are all New Living Translations. This is Galatians. I like this, Galatians 1.4. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Galatians 1.4. Why did Jesus come? Our sin. Why was he born in a manger? Our sin. Why did he go to the cross? Our sin. Why was he raised from the dead? Our sin. Sin's the whole issue of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Sin separated us from God, sent us to hell. What do we got? What, what's our problem? Sin. No, we got, we got relationship problems and money problems and political problems. No, we got sin. Sin kills. But sin's been dealt with. The blood of Jesus is still fresh on the mercy seat in heaven. We can run boldly to the throne of grace, get mercy and help in time of need. What's mercy? When you premeditated sin on purpose, you'd be like running into heaven out of breath. God said, what are you doing here? I thought I'd just come hang out. <laughs> you got a problem? I might have. Did you sin? Uh, maybe. Was it on purpose? I think so. How's it working out for you? Not too good. Romans 5, 12, all have sinned. Everybody say all. all. That's us, I love that. Genesis 4, 1, God's dealing with Cain and Abel. They, Adam and Eve have already been fired from their job, evicted from their house, things aren't going good. Cain and Abel bring their sacrifice to God. God. Abel brings the blood sacrifice, and that's what it takes. It takes life for life. Brings the blood sacrifice. Cain brings the radishes, the carrots, the turnips, and you know, the whatever. And God didn't like that sacrifice, and he won't accept it. Cain gets mad. First boy ever born, first male ever born on this planet. He's mad. He pushes his lip out at God. And God looks up and says, why are you so angry, Cain? And Cain won't talk to him. just staring at him. He said, if you do what's right, you will be accepted. But since you're not doing what's right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must learn to master it. God told the first kid ever born on this planet, son, let me explain something to you. Sin wants you really bad. But I have given you the ability, even an old covenant kid, I have given you the ability to master it. God wouldn't have told Cain to master it if he wasn't able to master it. You understand? So then we come to the New Testament, it's a whole different set of deal. So anyhow, I like this right here. This is just give you a couple more here. I like this. Romans 5.20, by law is the knowledge of sin. How do we know we're sinners? The Ten Commandments. That's why God gave them. No human has ever kept the Ten Commandments outside Jesus. No human. That's why God gave them. Bless God, I believe in Ten Commandments. I believe in them. Me too. I believe in them. They're important. Everybody ought to do them. Can you quote them to me? What? If you believe them, can you quote them to me? Sure. You don't, you don't steal and lie and cheat and get drunk and smothers and cheat and lie and stuff. 
I have never in my personal life at age 64 ever met a human anywhere that can quote me the Ten Commandments. Not yet. Now you can do that before I leave today if you'd like to. Well, if they're so important, how come nobody knows them? Because we don't believe it. But the reason God gave them is so you need my son, but you don't know you need my son. So first I'm gonna give you some rules. <laughs> gonna really mess with you. Gonna cost you every bull and goat you got. Blood's gonna run out of that temple seven days a week. Why? We're gonna slit throats forever because you can't keep from sinning. And that's why they realized when Jesus died, the veil was ripped from top to bottom in the temple. Why? No more bulls, no more goats. My son's blood's gonna cover it forever and all time. Yeah. So I want to make it, so the back, these, just a, these are real good. You can download these off my website for free. But this is all you need to know. I'll just give you these, I like this. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, God forgives us our sin. He's talking to Christians. I told my kids, you're gonna sin, you still have flesh. You're not fully grown yet. I want you to know when you do sin, repent quick. Somebody's gonna sin against you. Somebody you least expect's gonna sin against you one day. Lie, cheat, steal from you. Your job is to forgive them really quick. Your job is to repent quick, forgive quick, lest you get spiritually constipated. When you're constipated, nothing's moving. You're full of stuff. We know it when you open your mouth. You need to repent. That'll sink in about two o'clock. First John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. First John 2, 1, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Oh, have mercy. I like to Acts 3, 19, repent of your sins and they will be wiped away. Oh my goodness, Ephesians 2, 8. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Oh my goodness. And it goes on and on. What is it? Sin will never be a problem. I told my kids, sin will never, ever, ever be a problem for you, ever. The blood of Jesus is taken care of. The only time sin's gonna be a problem is if you don't repent and you don't forgive. And it's got you by the throat just like it did Cain. You need to repent quick and forgive quick. Get used to it. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day, they get back up. We're not the perfect people, we're the getting back up people. If you leave home knowing that, nobody will ever be able to mess with you. But if you don't know that, you'll be mad at some human the rest of your life. Stinking boss and stinking government and stinking mayor and stinking spouse and stinking in-law and stinking neighbor. It's always somebody else's fault. As long as it's somebody else's fault, I don't have to do anything. But the minute I take responsibility, no, I'll take responsibility. It'll be my fault and I can handle it whether you want to handle it or not. I like this. It's called anointing for business. This was a big one as a dad. Why? Because I want you to start making your own money. Praise God. So this is real good. I'm just gonna give you one scripture because this is a whole two-hour seminar. Do this in about 10 minutes. Mark chapter six, verse three. They said this because Jesus was a businessman for 30 years, pretty much. Grew up in a carpenter's family. His dad died. Jesus took over the business. His family did not like him because he's a stepson and they know it. We don't know who your father is. We don't know. Now you can read the New Testament. None of his brothers and sisters believed in him when he had his ministry. It wasn't until he came out of the grave that they started to follow him. Who are you? I don't know, but your daddy's not our daddy. We don't know what mama was doing. <laughs> yeah, message translation, real entertaining. <laughs> and so they didn't like it, but they worked for him because as the eldest son, he took over dad's business. When dad died, Jesus is the head man now. All the brothers, sisters, mama worked for him. Jesus is the local Home Depot. It's not some little sissified sheet wearing wooden hammer guy. He's running a big business. Collecting money, doing bills, repairing stuff. You got a chair, he built it. You got a door frame, he built it. You got a bed, he built it. You got a master boat, Jesus built it. He's the local Home Depot. Everybody knew him. That's why when he started his ministry, they said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Joseph? 
None of his people in the hometown believed him. We know him, he's just a carpenter. There's no way he's a son of God. That's why he could do no mighty miracles there. Because it's important what we believe. So all of a sudden Jesus steps out of being a full-time carpenter into ministry and mess with some people. And here's what I want to do. These I'm about to read you are all the parables of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Every parable in your New Testament is a business miracle. Every one. Jesus, when he started ministry, left the synagogue and he went to the business world with the gospel. Where are you going, Jesus? To the world, the business world. Because see, the devil lied to us years ago. Oh, God will show up on Sunday. Man, I'll be glad when Sunday gets here because I need Jesus and I need to repent. I'll be glad when Sunday gets here. And then Sunday comes, you go to the altar, you cry, repent, pastor teaches something good, somebody lays hands on you, you get your little meal somewhere and you go home feeling good. I feel good. And then Monday shows up. Oh, dear God, it's Monday. That's right, you're on your own to Sunday. Hang on for the next six days because hell's coming. Nobody told us that Jesus can be Lord on Monday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, Thursday at noon. Jesus is Lord all the time. So, so I'll read these real quick. These are all the individual parables in the New Testament. They're all business stories. I like this, Matthew 7, 24, a parable about construction. Uh, John 2, 1, I love this, and about winemaking. Now people, mess, they mess this story up. Mama and Jesus and all of his staff were at a big wedding because it was free food. You know how those big weddings are. I've had a few of them myself. Feed everybody, feed people you don't even know. So they're there at the wedding. Jesus, the boys, and his mother are back in the kitchen snacking on something. And the guys come running into the kitchen. Hey, 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 we need some more wine. They're out of wine, man. It must be a hot day. They're sucking it down. And the guys in the kitchen said, there is no more wine. The catering guys that are doing the wedding. What do you mean there's no more wine? You got to have more wine. No, man, we brought plenty. Well, man, they're sucking it down. We don't have any more. Oh, my goodness, we'll never get another gig. As long as we live, this is going to ruin our business. Because there wasn't any Pepsi or Coca-Cola, and you don't drink the water. It's got stuff crawling in it. Wine's the only thing you drink back then. And so, so, so they're all standing there just after he said, and Mary, you know, silent night, holy night, Mary looks at her son, Jesus, son, help them. Jesus looks at his mother, mother, it is not my time yet. Even God had a mother. Son, help them. And he did. God knows right where he lived. So, so Jesus walked over to the empty pot and said, what do you got here? You got we're, we're out. They've sucked us dry. Well, fill all those buckets and pots back up with water. What? Just fill them up with water. They filled them up with water and Jesus went over and touched them. Take a sip of that. And they took a sip and their eyebrows went up. Oh, that's good stuff. And they went out and they began to serve the guests. And the Bible says the guests began to brag. Here's what they said. Whoa, that's good stuff. Man, most parties that serve you the good stuff first till you get so drunk you don't know what you're drinking. They serve the bad stuff for last, but this party has saved the best for last. And they're bragging on their, on their you know, what company doing the catering? <laughs> it was a business miracle. Jesus saved the catering business. <laughs> His mama told him to. It's gonna make you read your Bible different, I guarantee you. Mark 4, 2 is a story about farming. Matthew 13, 24, a story about treasure hunting. Matthew 18, 12, a story about ranching. Matthew 28, 1, management and labor. Family, <laughs> family-owned businesses, Matthew 21. If you've got a family-owned business, you need to read Matthew 21. It'll save your family. Because that can be tough sometimes when family are in there involved and you've got to write paychecks. You better do your job. 
Like this hostile takeovers, Luke 22, uh, verse 9, uh, return on investments, Matthew 25, 1, futures markets. Oh, that was real good, Luke 12, 35. Uh, crop yield, Matthew 13, 27. Management criteria, Luke 12, 35. Need for observation research, Luke 14, 24. Misuse of money and bankruptcy, Luke 16, 11. The advantage of leverage, Luke 16, 1. And venture capital in high risk situations, Luke 19, 11. Now, those are modern translation terms for every parable in the Bible was a business miracle. Jesus cares about your business, what you do for a living, that you pay your bills, that you leave money behind to your children and your grandchildren, that you owe no man nothing, that you lack no good thing, that you are blessed and highly favored. That is the will of God, but the only way you know is by getting the word of God in. God is no respecter of persons. If he did it for them, he'll do it for me and my family. Because until you believe it, you won't pray it. You'll just gripe about it. Man, stinking government, and stinking president, stinking Congress, stinking Senate, stinking. No, it ain't no stinking nuts. The devil's stealing from you. You got your mouth running the wrong direction. So I'll give you these. I've got eight stories. Just give you one. I love this. Matthew 14, 13. Jesus is out on the hillside. Going really good out there on the hillside. Uh, they're having all kinds of miracles happen. Been out there for three days. I don't know what he's preaching, but nobody will go home. So out there for three days. So you understand, there's no McDonald's or Hardee's or Harvey's. There's no, there's no Walgreens or Walmart. There's nothing. So all of a sudden, three days of preaching. I don't know what it was, but it must have been good because they won't leave. There's, there's 30,000 people out there. The disciples come to Jesus and Lord, Lord, I know you're preaching really good, but we got to shut this down. Man, we're hungry. We ran out of food two days ago. We're chewing on sticks and grass right now. And so we got to shut this down, let them go to town and get something to eat. Jesus, the creator of the universe, said, no, I wouldn't need to do that. You got to have something. No, Lord, trust me. We've stole, eaten, borrowed everything here. Nobody's got any food left. Our stomachs don't even grumble anymore. They're just stuck together. We got to shut this thing down. And Jesus said, no, you got to have something. And in a sarcastic statement to God, they said, look, Lord, all we got this snot-nosed kid came walking this morning with some loaves and fish. That's all we've got. They did it to mock Jesus. He said, that's all you need. Give it to me. Son, can I use your lunch? Sure, I guess so. Hands the lunch to Jesus. Jesus does some shanda over it. <laughs> starts to break it. Sit everybody down in groups of 50, he said. Get everybody in groups of 50. And he starts breaking bread and fish. The more he broke, the more it grew back. Pop, 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 pop. I'm assuming this went on for hours. You know, to feed 30,000, you got to break a lot of bread. Pop, pop, pop. It just keeps growing. That just stand like, it keeps growing back. <laughs> I'm assuming it went to about sundown. It's taken all day to feed this bunch. Finally, the Lord says, okay, everybody full. Everybody had enough? Somebody yelled back, sure, Lord, man, my belly button's sticking out now. Had plenty. All right, boys, grab some bastards, follow this kid, and pick up the leftovers and follow him home. Now, we don't think much about that statement, except I've got kids. I grew up in the country. Our parents, and these parents, they didn't care where we were as long as we showed up by dark. Now, if you get home after dark, they're going to beat the tar out of you. As long as you get home by dark, they don't care if you've been catching snakes, swimming in rock quarry, just as long as you get home by dark. So, you can imagine the story. Kids got 12 grown men in baskets. He left with some loads of fish. He's got 12 men carrying baskets. He gets back home, comes in the back of the kitchen door, and his mother says, where have you been? Mom, you can't believe it. It's been a crazy day. I ran this crazy carpenter out there on the hillside. And, well, where have you been? Mom, I'm trying to tell you. I met this crazy carpenter on the hillside. And there were thousands of people everywhere. I'm not exactly, they were everywhere. And he was saying something they really liked. And all of a sudden, he wanted to borrow my lunch. You gave your lunch away? Who did you get rid Mom, just come. Boys, bring the baskets in. All of a sudden, 12 grown men walk in the back door of the kitchen with all these baskets. And Mom was just like, Mom, you can't believe what happened. Just shut up a minute. Let me tell you. This crazy carpenter asked me for my lunch. And he started speaking over it and breaking it. And the more he broke it, the more he grew back. The more he broke it, the more he grew back and we broke my group back and we fed everybody and we got 12 baskets of leftovers we're going to beat up this for a month <laughs> and you can imagine mom said 
You go back tomorrow, take another lunch. You go back tomorrow, you take another lunch. Everybody in here is dealing with something right here this morning financially. Everybody. All your need have already been, already been, already been, already been, already been supplied. Already been, already been. The guys, we're no different than you. At least I've been in the business world, been in the ministry for 30 years, you know. What's it take? Well, it takes cash. We're going to need some cash. I don't care what you do, it's going to take some cash. So well, there's three things to kill relationships. To kill those relationships, number one, you can't sin, lie, and cheat. People won't be your friend. You've got to be honest. Go the second mile. Give your coat and your shirt. Serve people. Then you'll never lack for relationships. But you can't sin in relationships. It'll kill it. Number two, whatever relationship you're in, it's going to take some cash. Whether you've got kids, married, or single, you need some cash. Cash is real important. <laughs> You're not supposed to have some. You're supposed to leave some behind when you leave. <laughs> I see bumpers and I'm spending my kids' inheritance. Well, that's a sin. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. <laughs> the third thing is the most important here. We're about through. This is the most important. This has to do with declaring a blessing. All blessing has to be spoke. People think, well, dear God, you know it never happened to us. It never will as long as your mouth runs in the wrong direction. Now, I only had three Catholic kids in my high school. I had 174 seniors, Hicks and High, 174. Three were Catholic. And we knew that because of the way they signed your annual. They signed, they signed the same Catholic gum flappy thing. Here's what they would sign The Lord bless you. Watch this now. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. All three Catholic kids signed your annual with that. I thought, it's a Catholic saying. It's what, it's what they must learn in Mass. It's a Catholic saying. I go to Bible school and I realize it's not a Catholic saying, it's in Numbers chapter six. That was embarrassing. <laughs> Number 622, watch this now. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel, say to them. Say, speak, speak, say, say. Where's blessing come from? Your mouth. Where's blessing come from? I just told you five times in two cents. Your mouth brings blessing. Where's curse come from? Your mouth, life and death and the power of the tongue. First you gotta learn to shut hell off, then you gotta start saying what God says. Not what you feel, not what you think, not what you see. I'm the redeemed of the Lord, let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. Call those things that be not as though they are. So God, so here it is, God says this. God says, speak to Moses, saying, 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 saying. You're gonna bless the children of Israel, say to them. This is how you're gonna bless them. By saying to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. It's not a sappy saying, it's a blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We never get to verse 27. God is still talking. God says, whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. God, when are you gonna bless me? When you say it. God, when are you gonna bless my marriage? When you say it. God, when are you going to bless my kids? When you say it. When are you going to bless my business? When you say it. When are you going to bless my nation? When you say it. Until I say it, it cannot happen. God moves through his word coming out of somebody's mouth. We've got to change what we say. And we were cheated on early. People that said they loved us, cursed us early. Man, you're dumber than dirt. You're not going to mount the hill of beans. You can't even walk and chew gum at the same time. You don't know how to diagram a sentence. You can't pass English. You're nothing. You're never going to mount nothing. I'll be glad when you're out of the house. People that loved us spoke curses over us. 
And all of a sudden we begin to realize something. I'm dumb. Dear God, I must be dumb. Dad's called me dumb forever. I must be dumb. You'll be sitting in class one day, a teacher calls somebody else dumb. Hey, there's somebody just like me. And you'll go hang out like kind, draws like kind, and dumb will hang out with dumb. Stupid will hang with stupid. Mean will hang with me. Who are you hanging with? Who I think I am. Who are you? What somebody spoke over me. Why don't you change it by you starting to say something over yourself? Now this is, this, is the, I like, this is the Hebrew dictionary. This is the Hebrew dictionary, the blessing. The blessing is an impartation of the supernatural power of God into a human life by the spoken word by God's delegated authority. Where's the blessing come from? My delegated authority. Who is that? Everybody sitting here this morning. I don't care if you cussed each other coming into the parking lot. I don't care if you cussed before you got out of the car. Blankety blank and blankety blank. <laughs> Welcome to the house of God. You can take two seconds and repent. Put the blood of Jesus over that and get it by and start speaking blessing. Now, Denise, I've been through this. We learned this the hard way. When we learn, we've got to start saying right words. I love you. <laughs> oh, I'm not making it. Am I making this up? No, we did this for three months. No, you don't. By God, I love you. By God, you don't. But by God, I love you. Shut up. I love you. You shut up. I love you. <laughs> and we kind of yelled it for about three months. And one day, we just were yelling it again about how much we loved each other. We just got tickled, like, it's kind of dumb, isn't it? Let's sit down and eat dinner. And something began to change the day we changed our mouth. You got to change your mouth, people. Hell comes through your mouth. When's God going to show up? When your mouth changes. (laughs) Now, I'll leave you with this. I got eight scriptures, going to give you just a couple of them here. Uh, Genesis 12. I speak of Abraham. I need you to leave Ur the Chaldees, go to this other land. When you get there, I'm going to bless you. When you do what I say, I'm going to bless you. I like this. God blessed Jacob, not Esau. Isaac blessed Jacob, not Esau. Isaac's old man, blind as a bat, he's about to die. The custom was before you die, you lay hands on your eldest son, he gets a double blessing. He gets a portion for himself and a portion for the widows, unemployed, and those of his tribe. Well, what dad doesn't know is that his thumb-sucking son Esau came home from a hunting trip three months earlier. He had caught nothing. His sissified, hairless brother, really had no hair. The sissified, hairless brother said, they eating a bowl of beans. And Esau said, give me some beans. Jake said, no. Give me some beans. No. What do you want for your beans? He said, I want your birthright. And the Bible says, Esau said, fine, I don't want it. I don't want to be responsible for thumb sucking orphan, some snot-nosed widow. You can have it. What dad does know is the eldest boy sold it to his younger brother legally three months earlier. All of a sudden, you know, Esau goes up to get the game. Mama knows what's going on. She gets a little sissified second boy in there. Come here, son. So here, I got your daddy's meal already fixed. You're going to take it into him. Here, well, I've killed a goat out here. They're going to wrap your arms in some skanky goat skin. Put some skank on you because your brother smells skank. And so he goes into his dad. Dad, I'm back. He's thinking, boy, you sure got back quick, son. And he said, mm, that smells good. So well, here you go. I said, man, you sure don't sound like Esau. Come here and let me touch you. And he raced out. He touched those hairy goat skin on her. Yeah, that's you, son. You stink. He ate the food, laid hands on Jacob, and gave him the blessing. The Bible said as soon as Jacob left the tent, Esau came in the other side. Dad, I'm back. What do you mean you're back? I got the food. I'm going to cook your meal. Already ate my meal. Couldn't have. Yeah, I ate the meal and I blessed you. You didn't bless me. Well, I blessed somebody. <gasps> Uh, bless your brother. Isaac knows this is not a nice saying. This is a tangible anointing. I just gave it to your brother. Esau says, you got to bless me. Son, you don't understand. This isn't a bumper sticker in a Christian bookstore. This is a tangible anointing that an adult passes down to his kids. I've given it to your brother. Now that's old covenant. What we now know in the new covenant, there is no end to the blessing. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so every day, all the time to everybody. You are anointed to pass blessing onto your children. 
Jesus has just been raised from the dead, 40 days walking around town with some formerly famous dead people, goes outside of town toward Bethany, cloud forms on them and lifts them up into heaven. Jesus is waving by and they're all waving by. Jesus is going home. He's going to send the Holy Ghost back. Now Jesus has got one more thing to share. He's been down here on the earth all these years. I've got one more thing I could say. I'm the creator of the universe. What one more thing could I possibly say? I've got one more shot at him. What could I say? And the Bible says that as he was lifted up that the Son of God blessed them. Guys, we've got to start speaking blessing in our home over our marriage, over ourself, over our children, over our job, over our car. Stinking car, that's a blessed car. I'll soak that thing with oil every day. You're anointed. And if you're not gonna get anointed, God's gonna replace you with anointed because I'm calling my car blessed. Somebody's gotta reverse the curse and start saying what God said. Now, I love to collect stories, I fly all the time. When I fly, I fly first class because I get bumped because I fly so much. They bump me and I don't pay for it. And so, uh, so I'm set up, you, you, you meet a lot of unusual people in first class. I either like to read or sleep up there. Nice wide seats. Older guy comes and sits down in front, got a sweater vest on. I assume he's retired. He looks old enough. Lays his head back, goes to sleep. I say, yeah, that's the idea. So I'm back there reading some stuff. Other people are coming on because first class loads first. Finally, a businessman in a suit and a briefcase comes on and sits down next to him. Puts his briefcase on. I see he pulled his laptop out and he's pounding away. He keeps looking at the older guy like he knows him. I don't know, maybe they know each other. Finally, he hits the older guy on the shoulder. Sir, sir, you mind if I ask you a question? He said, well, what is it? So well, I fly all the time, and I like to play a game when I fly, if you don't mind. I like to play a little game with you before we take off. It's real short. Uh, I, I'd like to for, be able to uh, ask a question. Uh, uh, ask any question I want to ask, and if you can't answer it, you owe me $5. But then I won't let you ask me a question. I don't care what question. You ask me a question. If I can't answer it, I'll give you $500. And then you tell the old guy sort of irritated, like, who are you and you're just stupid? So, so, so I go first. So, so how far is it, this is a businessman, ask the older, how far is it from the earth to the moon in miles? And you, you, can't, you see the back of their head, you can't see their face. So the guy leans in like he's gonna answer, but he wasn't answering, he's reached for his billfold. Put out a five dollar bill and just handed it to him, laid his head back down and went to sleep. And the business, no, 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 it's your turn, it's your turn, you get to ask me a question. The guy sits up and he, he says, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? Bitch said, what? What well, goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? Turn around, let his head back down in the seat. Well, this businessman got his laptop out and he's pounding away. He's Googling, I guess. I don't know what he's looking for. Finally gets on himself. Hey, Frank, 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 hey, 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 you ever heard this? What goes up a hill with three legs come down with four? You don't know? You never heard that? You never heard that at all? Okay, huh, call somebody. Hey, hey, Bill, Bill, what goes up a hill with three legs come down? You'll have to shut down all the cell phone stuff. Doors closed, are about to take off. And he sort of slammed his laptop down like, Man, you could tell he's just frustrated. So he leaned over, pulled out five $100 bills, posted it on the shoulder, and he handed it to him. The guy looked, took him, put it in his pocket, laid his head back down. The guy said, well, what's the answer? He said, I'm sorry, what? What's the answer? What goes up a hill with three legs, come down with four? Well, the guy reached in his bill, full, pulled out a $5 bill, and he handed it to him. <laughs> Now, the moral of the story, <laughs> most people trying to go through life impressing other people, showing off, being the fastest, the tallest, the biggest, or whatever, quit that. Listen, you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You're welcome to the throne of God. There are so many angels around you, you can't count them. God's gonna order your steps, direct your path, guide you all truth, give you sweet sleep at night. You've got it made. Quit thinking about you. Start walking around thinking about other people. You start sowing to other people and you have room enough to receive all the things God's gonna do for you. Amen. Let's stand up.
Don't you love church? We are what's happening, people. Woo, two things last forever, the word of God and us. Our job is to be a blessing in the last days. I still get family. Ben, aren't you worried about what? Dear God, I'm thrilled. I am thrilled to be alive in the last days. Hell's running up everybody's armpit and we're the answer to hell. We scare hell when we wake up. You wake up in the morning, hell says, oh dear God, they're up. Yes, we are. Looking for you, big boy. I mean, every morning Jesus wake up, I tell it every time I preach. Every time Jesus woke up, hell broke out into a cold sweat. What are you gonna do today, Jesus? Well, I'm gonna put some eyeballs in the blind man's head. We're gonna grow a hand out down to church service. That's gonna get him really mad. We're gonna raise a dead kid at a funeral. We're gonna have 5,000 Happy Meals out there on the hillside. Got a real busy day planned out. What are you doing? I'm whipping hell. I'm a hell whipping mode. I'm looking for some hell to whip. <laughs> We're looking somewhere to be a blessing, not a curse. We're trying to leave everybody better than we find them, not worse than we found them. That means we got to curtail some stuff. What are you going to do? If I sin, I'm going to repent quick, forgive quick. Sin's not going to be a problem. I'm in order to make money. I don't care if they kick me out of kindergarten. If you'll Google it, most millionaires and billionaires in America never finished any school. Your gift makes room for you. I'm an educator. I believe in it. All my kids have college degrees. I tell you, your degree won't get you one job. It won't get you a raise. Your gift will. I just want you to get a degree to know how to do what you're gifted to do. But your gift will make room for you. And I'll tell you the last thing. If you don't start speaking blessing over yourself, it's not coming. And I have people, families, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, you're not ever going to see it. God spoke it before it existed. You got to start saying what God said. Amen. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. And Holy Ghost, I ask you to bring to our remembrance what we've learned. May this word bear 100-fold fruit in our lives. This is the year it's going to be a jubilee year. We're going to be the redeemed of the Lord. And Father, we're going to start to say so. Father, we're going to give you lots of word to watch over. And we call ourselves blessed and highly favored in Jesus' name. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.